This is a podcast from Rover. Paul Wood joins us in the studio this morning, one of the most interesting guests we've had in the studio because you are a doctor of psychology, motivational speaker, leadership and personal development specialist, husband, father, the author of two books, uh, first one 2019, this one's just come out called Mental Fitness. Paul, good morning to you. Welcome to the Morning Rumble. Fantastic to be here. You just get a bit closer if you want to. Yeah, 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 Sorry, easy. mate. That's, yeah, that's good. Go. Fantastic to be here. Thank you so much for being here. What a hell of a story, Paul. Can, because no, I guess anyone who interviews you, yep. it always is the elephant in the room. Tell us at the age of 18, what happened to you? What did you do? Well, look, at the age of 18, my life was completely off the rails. And one of the reasons it was completely off the rails is I had really unrealistic ideas around what my emotional experience was supposed to be like in life, and particularly as a man. I had these ideas that as a man, I'm not supposed to feel any emotions that make me feel weak or vulnerable or like I'm not in control. And as a result of that, when I felt those oh-so-human emotions, I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought yep. there was something broken. So what I did is I gravitated more and more towards drug use to not have to deal with the reality of those emotions. As a result of that, I made choices that put me into high-risk situations. And at 18, I ended up killing my drug dealer. And as a result of that choice... I ended up in prison for the next 10 years, 10 months. I'm not sure we've had a more hectic first minute of an interview where you get so much unreal information from a guest from that. My question is, do you ever find anybody who does interviews with you or listens to the talks that you do or meets you ever conflicted? with how they're supposed to feel around you. 100%, right? 100%. And that's completely normal and completely natural. You know, I look back with regret upon the actions that earned me my place in the New Zealand prison system. Yeah. But this is one of the key ideas of my book, is that unpleasant emotion I feel, that's completely natural, and that's a signal my body is sending me to motivate me to do better and be better going forward. It's just my body signaling to me that this is an area that it's important to be attentive to. And it's natural for people to go, well, you know, you've done something which is horrendous. Yeah. You know, you've done something which I find appalling. You've, you've unnecessarily taken the life of another person. And that is completely legitimate for people to feel that way. But also they often feel conflicted because the person they meet doesn't marry up with their expectations of the person I was then. And this is a really important idea for us, I think, and that is the idea that... People can know, change. You really can change. Because people say you can't change. People say once you're this, you're that. Yeah. Load of rubbish. I'll tell you what, if you want to blow your mind, blow your mind in terms of the capacity of us to change our brains and our behaviour on that basis, Google blind people riding bicycles. Right. What you will see is yeah. blind people making clicking sounds with their tongues and using echolocation like a bat or a dolphin to navigate the environment. Our brain is adaptive. Can I just quickly ask you? Yes. Could Rog do this tongue clicking when he drives? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even need to be blind, but I am not the greatest driver. Sorry, sorry, as, as you were, as you were. I apologise. I apologise for interrupting. No, no, it's a legitimate question. I would say there's a troll and error component to that, which might be problematic. Right. Okay. As you were. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, eh? Because. You know, again, our, our, our brain comes out with certain predispositions, but we can radically alter our brain based on what we do. Let me give you another example which is really useful for your listeners. One of the things I always talk about is that we have a Stone Age brain in a modern world. And what that means is if you want to understand our behavior and our reactions, you really have to look back to when we were nomadic tribes people to understand what was useful to us then and what was the primary driver staying alive. Right. And what that means is 
we have more neurons, more brain cells devoted to identifying potential threats and feeling unpleasant emotions to help us avoid those yeah. than we do to the positive stuff in life. It's about three to four times as many neurons, as many brain cells devoted to that stuff, okay? Because that helped keep your ancestors alive. Because if they thought something was a threat and it wasn't, no big cost. But if they didn't realize something was a threat and it was, big issue. And so that's our brain's natural tendency is to notice and to orientate and remember the worst stuff that makes us feel unpleasant. But because of this neural plasticity, you know, this blind people riding bicycles stuff where our brain can change itself, if we exercise our brain in the right way, we can shift the balance there. Now, a lot of people have heard of gratitude diaries, which is basically where once every day you go, what are three things I'm right. grateful for from the last yep. day? Yep. Hardly anyone does them. Yep. And I'll tell you why. They get them as a gift. What yep. they do is they do them for a few days and go, well, I'm not feeling massively uplifted doing this stuff. It's not Or working. I'm saying the same stuff every day. Right. But what they fail to realize is it's like going to the gym for your brain. You're investing in your future state, not your current state. Now, if you every 24 hours go, what are three small and different things that I'm grateful for from today, what the research out of Harvard shows, and I talk about all this stuff in the book, is that within 21 days, most people will just start to notice and benefit from some of that yeah. good stuff in their day that previously just wouldn't have made it onto the radar. And you literally change your neural networks, change the way your brain looks and functions based on how you exercise it. And that's this whole concept of mental fitness. You exercise your brain in the way you do your physical body. I found that really, out of what you just said then, really interesting that um, we have a natural ability to just always hold on to anything negative, which yep. would explain the high rates of anxiety and depression. 100%. Does it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. But also, yeah. I'll tell you something else that the research just explains some of the higher rates of anxiety and depression is the false expectations we have based on modern society around how we should feel. Right. We have this idea that we're supposed to feel happy all the time, and what the research shows is when we don't feel happy, we think we're failing, we think there's something wrong. It's a load of rubbish. You're not supposed to feel happy all the time. You really aren't. In fact, the only people who feel happy all the time are people who suffer a really annoying neurological disorder called Angel Man Syndrome. Oh, yeah. The rest of us are going to have lots of misery and suffering. And I know that might sound like a down buzz, but actually that is a liberating idea. Because when you feel anxious, you can stop being anxious about feeling anxious. Yep. When you feel stressed, you can stop feeling stressed about being stressed. And you can start recognizing that this is a natural, unpleasant emotion to experience. It's my body trying to send me a signal to get me to do something. So I'm gonna figure out what that signal is. The age of 18, you met your drug dealer, he tried to sexually assault you, correct? Yes. Or, or did sexually assault you? Yeah, attempted to. Yeah. And you picked up a softball bat? Yeah, look, yeah. I, I don't want to get into the no, detail, no, fair enough. Da details fair enough. of it. But look, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Look, I made decisions yeah. which unnecessarily ended someone else's life. Yeah. There was a point where I defended myself, but yeah. instead I chose to take actions which unnecessarily yeah. ended another person's life and meant that I earned my place in the New Zealand prison system for over a decade. Which is, I can only imagine, to, to, to be told that you are spending the next 10 years in prison, how do, how do you cope with that? Or don't you? Well... I was 18, yeah. and at 18, Which you don't have worse. enough life experience no. to contextualize 10 years as a minimum. And check this out, it's not 10 years, no. it's 10 years as a minimum, minimum right? Yeah, yeah. Life yeah. could be mm -hmm. life. Yeah. So for me, I was just like, well, this is my new life. Wow. This is my new forever. This is, wow. this is my reality. But it's what you did in there that exactly. I think leads us to 
get where we are here, the fact that you've got these two books. One was yeah. an instant bestseller. You've got this new book out now. Um, and you've, what you're doing is actually the exact opposite because you're helping a lot of people. Yeah. And I found this interesting here when you say, when I went to prison, mm. high school dropout, 95, um, and you thought you were dumb and not capable of succeeding in life. Uh, but by your release in 2006, you'd attained an undergraduate degree in psychology and philosophy, a master's degree in psychology, and you were two years into a PhD in psychology. That's an incredible thing to achieve in prison. How does that even start? You know, it's small steps that make a big difference over time, and that's what it was for me. Yeah. Like, had I been sitting in prison, I was a high school dropout. I'd been held back a year at school. I yep. never received any messages from education that I was a smart or mm-hmm. capable person. Yeah. And I thought I was dumb. Because I thought that if I was smart, then things would be easy. I didn't recognize that actually smart things actually take a a mental toll on you. They require thought. And I was just mentally unfit. I'd never exercised my brain. And it's the same. You have people now who think, I'm lacking resilience, I'm lacking mental toughness, when what they don't realize is that even if you're resilient and mentally tough, you still feel the struggle. You just get more effective at not being derailed by it and working your way through it. And we can all increase in these areas. And for me, just like the way you get physically fit, I got mentally fit through consistent effort. Mm. You're a father, so it's little things like this, I think, for people listening that might be maybe father of small ones. And, mm. and I reckon these people that might not be, say, in a terrible place of anxiety or a terrible place of depression, they might have little bits of it or they know of other people that have it. But in general, life, right, with the battles of paying bills, um, trying to keep up with everybody yeah. else and doing well, and, and then little things like with kids, you might get more impatient than what you mm. want to be or blow up at someone that you shouldn't have and always afterwards you might be yeah. like oh I wish I hadn't reacted like that uh, why did I react like that I feel like this is the sense I'm getting from you that it's you have sort of small steps as to how you can improve your brain even in those situations to just be better at you know at uh, making better decisions 100% let me let me give your listeners a tool here that they can start yeah. employing today right now now this tool actually comes from sports psychology it comes from Lou Holtz who is the famous coach of the Notre Dame gridiron team it's a little tool that you can simply use moment by moment to help you do what matters and makes the right decision and because it comes from sports psychology it has an appropriate acronym which is win if you want to win at your life if you want to be showing up in the way that reflects who you want your reputation to to be here's the question to be asking yourself. I definitely do what's important now it's simple but it's so effective let me give you an example when I'm stressed and pressured at work I start procrastinating instead of doing the right stuff I, yeah, do, right. I go oh these emails are important yeah. too when I ask myself what's important now I cut through the noise I focus on the big stuff when I'm at home and this will be unrelatable to anyone with young kids when I'm at home and I've asked the kids to pack up this particular mess before they make the next mess and I've asked them say four times what I feel (laughs) is I feel this energy rising within me these things called feelings and these feelings are an indicator that the 1980s dad in me wants to come out the 1980s dad thinks this is a volume issue Uh, if I just increase the volume I'll get the compliance I'm after when I feel that <laughs> happening, I don't know if you I can see what my myself. eyes are pointing. <laughs> just, just, uh, I know, unrelatable. Oh, my eyes are just very unrelatable. Yeah. I mean, if they had a nickname, it would be 1980. <laughs> but check this out, right? When, when I feel that happening, I ask myself what's important now. It's never the bloody Lego. It's never about the Lego. It's about the relationship yeah. with my kids. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, 
I pick up the Lego a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah, That's one of the things that I've really learned, and that's to focus on what's in my circle of control. What are the things that I can do? What's the only thing you can ultimately try and control in your life? It's yourself. And show of hands, eh? Who thinks that's bloody hard enough? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the key thing is when I'm in those situations with my kids, I don't, you know, think about this being the ideal scenario where they could comply and where what matters is them doing what I say right now. What I do is I go, well, what's important now? It's my relationship. I'm just going to do what I can control. Sometimes I give myself time out during lockdown when I was struggling with my boys, when they're fighting, that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, if I'm struggling with that, I'm better off going, I'm going to remove myself from the situation and give myself time out rather than try and enforce that on them. They'll be okay. Mm. You know, mm. it's it's more important for us to look at what can we do. What's important now, team? Lou Holtz recommended to his players they practice asking themselves that 35 times a day. You're loading new software into your brain. You're creating a new habit. You get into the habit of doing this, I'll tell you what, you will transform your ability to make decisions that will be more in line with your values and who you want your, your reputation to reflect on a moment-by-moment basis. Win. Win at it, team. That's a great bit of advice. It's, you could apply that to anything. You could apply that to the show, this station, any job you've got, any part of your life, um, you, those three words, mm. and it just cuts through, doesn't now, it? Now, you can, before you go, you worked with the Hurricanes, and um, I'm a Hurricanes man. <laughs> Hurricanes, mm. Rogers informed me that uh, oh, is, yeah. is the only New Zealand team. Not to make a final this year. Um, what have we got to do to WIN? <laughs> Uh, all I know is that I, I super appreciate that club, but I think, you know, it's coming. There's no doubt Yeah, about it is. It. That's the attitude. It's coming. What's important now? That's the attitude. What's important now is that next year is our year. That's what I say. Is that right, Paul? 100%. <laughs> yeah. Good on you, mate. Dr. Paul Wood, it's been more than a Thanks, pleasure. Thanks, mate. Uh, Thanks for coming in.